Hey, Pod Mod Bods, welcome back to another episode of Podular Modcast. Right here at the top, I want to give a shout out to DC Modular Collective. They asked me to tell you about them. Was that bad? Bad grammar. If you are in the DC area, they meet once a month at Tacoma Park, T A K O M A, um, at Rhizome, R H I Z O M E. So go check out DC Modular Collective if you're in the area. Let's get into this show. Okay, I want to keep this intro really short because our guest, Greg Fox, and I chatted for a really long time. And uh, yeah, we, we go a lot of places with the conversation, and I think, uh, I think we cover a lot of ground, and it was, it was ultimately a great chat. Um, I just want to remind everybody, my album is out. It came out on Friday on Flag Day Recordings. Go to flagdayrecordings.bandcamp.com if you want to order a tape. The first 25 tapes get a limited edition 11 by 17 poster with it so that's pretty cool speaking of new music i put a i put a, a cheesy little uh um christmas song christmas ep up on spotify along with some older albums that i made that uh i really like that i'd like people to listen to um unfortunately if you look me up on spotify you have to type it in as tim held with no spaces if you write tim space held just tim heidecker and tim hecker show up which is great company to have, but unfortunately, I don't show up. Um, the album is called Synthmus One, or the EP, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it is what it is. Also, really quick, this show is brought to you by Acid Rain Technology. They just send me their Switchblade and Navigator modules, and you know that I've been digging on that chainsaw. Um, they've got a lot of cool stuff coming in the future, too. So if, if you're not familiar, go check out acidraintechnology.com. Also, Needham Woodworks. I am still, I'm looking at my front door. My case is supposed to arrive today. I hope it shows up before I have to leave for work. Um, so go to needhamwoodworks.com if you want to learn about this case that's on the way to me uh, and more. And then patchworks.com, P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com, our lovely local scent shop here in Seattle. They have a great online store, so please go and support them if you want to keep the brick and mortar um, you know, side of business alive here in the United States. Also, thank you to everybody on Patreon. I would like to get to 110 patrons by the end of the year. I think we're, we got three to go. Can three of you sign up? Um, go to patreon.com forward slash podular modcast to do so. And thank you so much to everybody who is already signed up on Patreon. You're help you're helping to keep the LEDs blinking over here at Podmod. Okay, no more intro stuff. Let's get into a really quick demo and then into this chat with Greg Fox. That fancy lick was brought to you by me through the Empress Zoya. So I got this Empress Zoya a few days ago, and um, it is very robust. It does all sorts of things. And because I'm a guitar guy and uh, my whole love of modular started from my obsession with pedals, the first thing I wanted to do with Zoya was explore some of the different effects. So that was the fuzz effect going through um, the room reverb. This thing is so, so powerful. Um, the next effect that I uh, am going to show you, this is the, um, the ping pong delay going into the ghost reverb. 
What's really cool about Zoya is you can build all these different patches and save them. So I actually saved this patch because I really like this combination of the delay and the, the ghost reverb. Um, and there's just so many different effects, and we're going to get through those. Um, i got to apologize right now. There's not going to be a lot of synth action because my synth is tied up uh, in, in the set that I have to play next weekend. So, uh, But yeah, I thought I'd go through some of the, the, the effects with the guitar and, and show it off in that regard. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you one more thing with this patch that I made with the Ghost Reverb. I turned the, the, uh, the delay down, and then I just I really turned the, the reverb time up super high and the mix up super high and used a Ebo. So check this out. So, so far we've just listened to two different effects from Zoya being patched together, but you could uh, build a patch where you use every single effect and route it in all sorts of different ways. Um, one thing I haven't shown you yet is how you can use some of the onboard CV control to control these effects. So first up, I'm just going to show you the envelope filter with a little funk riff, and then I'm going to do uh, some CV control over it. So there was the envelope filter with no CV control. Now I'm going to take a, uh, a triangle wave LFO and put it into the, uh, the frequency of the envelope filter. So that was just one um, source of CV control. Um, controlling one parameter of one effect, but you could, like I said, just stack these effects and put all sorts of different types of CV control to control all the different parameters. But I'm just going to start light today. Um, and I'm going to, I am going to plug my synth into it. Uh, I want to show the phaser. So I'm going to start with this, uh, the synth line coming out of the trident. Um, it sounds like this. And I'm going to slowly fade up the mix of the phaser. So you can hear it going there. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. That was weird. And now I'm going to start fading up a hall reverb. And I'm going to fade that phaser out now and just give you a taste of the reverb. And then fade out to the original dry signal. So there are some of the effects. Um, there are many more effects, and you can do much more with the control of those. And uh, as I said in a previous demo last week, that um, this thing's like a little modular synthesizer. It's got oscillators on it and filters. So we're going to be building some of those patches pretty soon. I just haven't had time to do it yet. Uh, but I did want to show you some of the cool effects. So uh, yeah, go to empresseffects.com to learn more about Zoya. That's Z-O-I-A. Zoya. So I, I like to just dive right in. I don't like to be too interviewee. Um, 
But let's just, you're in New York, right? Yes. And born and raised? Yes. In the city? Yes. That's, it's funny. It's something I've been thinking about a lot lot lately. I I was, uh, you know, from a mountain town in Washington state. I Mm -hmm. live in Seattle now, which still isn't a huge city. Um, But the town I grew up in, my graduating class was 84 kids. Oh, wow. And so something I've been thinking about a lot lately, probably because I listen to a couple of comedians from New York and they're always talking about New York, is just uh, I've never been. And I really want to go, but I always think about just... uh, just how different growing up must have been between my little tiny town of Roslyn, Washington compared to New York city. Um, so I guess, I don't know, I guess in your opinion, from your perspective, what was it like growing up in New York city? I mean, that's all, you know, since you grew up there, but, um, I mean, I just kind of curious. I love, I loved it. I'm very glad that my folks decided to have a kid in New York city. Um, I mean, you know, anytime a, I got to see every band pretty much that I ever wanted to see and, uh-huh. and then also discovered so many others just by friends saying, hey, you should come to this show, you know, and I'm sure that happens everywhere, but it happened a lot in my, when I was a kid. Um, going to Central Park all the time, um, having friends from the, all the five boroughs, um, you know, growing up with like... Just, you know, so much access to culture, but also so many different people. I mean, New York City is my favorite place in the world still. And mm-hmm. um, just getting exposed to all different kinds of people and all different kinds of culture, um, it was great. I mean, you know, my folks were definitely a little, like, uh, overprotective, especially as I got a little older and, like, wanted to, like, go out at night with friends and things like that. Uh, you know, when, yeah. when like curfew became a thing, I had like one of the earliest curfews of my friends for a while, <laughs> um, you know, which was a point of contention, but even so, um, got into all kinds of trouble and, uh, had a really good time and, um, yeah, it was great. I mean, I, I guess, you know, I've, it's kind of the reason why I haven't left or moved anywhere else. It's, it's certainly not easy living here as like a professional weird musician slash teacher slash et cetera, et cetera. But, um, but I love it that much, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's kind of, I mean, it's kind of dorky to be like, what was it like in New York city? But it's just kind of been on my mind for a few reasons. I think it's just because I'm, you know, I'm getting older and things are getting into weird perspectives, but my wife's family is all from New York. Um, and we, I've just was talking with a friend who grew up with me in my small town and, and we're just like now realizing like, Oh, not everybody grew up like driving down, you know, logging roads for fun. You know, that wasn't the thing that you did. And then, you know, you talking about having all the exposure to culture and everything, um, where I grew up in the, you know, central part of Washington state, it's pretty much white people. Mm. So like I, you know, it's not until I was, you know, in my twenties until I was kind of exposed to anything other than like, suburban white America, which honestly was pretty exciting to, to be able to experience as an adult, but that's just gotta be such a different, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's just so different to me. And I, I don't know why I've been thinking about it a lot lately, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, well, I mean, I just think it's, you know, obviously being exposed to different people who are different than you in various ways expands your view. Um, and it increases your capacity for, you know, compassion and empathy and uh, can be challenging. It makes you rethink the things you were brought up to believe in. Um, 
you know, my, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm Jewish. My folks, you know, no, we're not religious or anything like that. But the reason why we're in New York is because, however many four generations ago, my great grandparents ran away from where they were from. You know, so like we are part of this. Like, you know, I mean. I don't like the term melting pot. I kind of prefer the like, you know, it's like a really good, healthy salad. You know what I'm saying? And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and, um, we, most of my, I'm still very close with a lot of people who I went to high school with and all of them are from a different background than me. You know, that's interesting. Cause that's something that I have, I have noticed the difference between me and, and maybe some of my, my city friends who grew up in cities, um, is it seems like a lot of people who grew up in city have, have more fragmented, um, past friendships and whatnot. Like I'm still friends with the guys that I went to uh, kindergarten with, you know? Wow. Um, so I think, you know, that's one of the, the cool parts. So, but that's cool to hear that you're still friends with guys um, in, from high school in a city like New York. I just is that that seems like that might be kind of a rare thing. It 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 seems like it is. I don't know a ton of people who have as many uh, tight old friends as I do. I had like a really great. You know, we were all lucky. We all kind of got really tight, and we're all still very close. And I mean, I'm one of the only ones now who's not married with kids. But, you know, but we, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. I'm, but I'm like friends with all the kids now. And that's really cool. Right. And, right. Um, that's, that's yeah. actually the same with me, man. It's, it's funny. Like I, um, I got married last September, or not last September, the year, the uh, last year. Congrats. And, uh, thanks man. And I had, I think I had nine groomsmen and all but one I went to elementary school with and wow. just stayed with friends. Wow. And it's something we, we still, we don't all hang out a whole lot together. I got one of them uh, lives in Seattle here and we still spend a lot of time together, but we try to do the whole, like, let's get a cabin in the woods, you know, once a year mm-hmm. so we can all get together. Um, and it's something as we get older, we, we do talk about, like you just said, like we feel really lucky that we had such like a, a tight group and, but man, we were mean to each other. I tell, <laughs> I tell people, I tell people stories about my best friends growing up and they're like, you liked these people? I'm like, yeah, they're my favorite people in the world. Uh, but all we did was just, ah, torture each other. It was, uh, in fun, you know, but we, we mostly, what did we do? We, well, for a while we would definitely play a lot of ba- basketball and a lot of video mm-hmm. games. And then we, smoked a lot of weed and yeah. uh you know went checked out music and uh you know i mean i was in like a band with some of them in high school for a little while and um yeah same here so uh and we we also talk about doing the friend trip even you know even though folks have kids we're and now the talk is to try to plan it around my tour schedule so i seem to be i'm like i'm gonna like bring everybody somewhere that i can stay for an extended period after a gig so ho- hopefully 2020 will be the year we make it happen. Uh, yeah, well I hope yeah, I hope so cuz it's it's a lot of fun. It's weird that you fall right back into those old uh you know those old grooves. It's you know you could spend 5 years apart but you're just right back there. It's it's really strange. Yeah. Um but speaking of your tour schedule, you're you're a super busy guy and we've actually been talking through Instagram about having you on for probably over a year. It's been a and little between while. between our two schedules, yeah. Um, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but we talked a lot about um, you and the, the Fox Sopper. Is it Sopper? Soper, Ryan Soper. Yeah, Soper. Yeah. Fox Soper duo album on the very first episode right. of the show. And uh, 
when my, my co my then co-host asked me, you know, who are some of the people you want to talk to? You guys were, you guys were on the list. Wow, so okay. it's kind of cool to be like approaching episode 90 and have you on. Well, it's good. It took um, about 90 episodes to get there because at that time I didn't know anything about modular synthesis <laughs> at all. <laughs> and I had no experience with it besides jamming with other people who did it. And so, you know, mm-hmm. fast forward, however many years it's been since then, I, you know, I mean, I'm up in it now. <laughs> yeah, well, that was going to be one of my questions because I think I saw as you know, as the as time progressed since we first uh, chatted and and I heard the the album that I saw you kind of started building your own set or oh, yeah. your own uh, system. Oh yeah. So you're like, so you're in there now. So you you got the feeling. Uh, yeah, I got. I mean, the way I got the way I ended up getting into it is uh, interesting. Um, basically. I used to live in a spot with a couple friends and when the guy, and so every once in a while, the guys who run Bostel would come and stay with us. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Because they were involved in, uh, helping run a shop that my housemate was running in the city. Uh, that was called detective oh. squad. Um, okay. And so, and then there was also like an old friend of ours had, uh, who ran Casper Electronics, Peter Edwards. He was friends with them too and has since joined Bostel and is building stuff with them now in Brno. And so, yeah, it was kind of like old connections, but these guys you know, from Brno would come stay with us and they'd bring all this stuff and I would like try to play with it, but I couldn't figure out how it worked or how to make any sound with it. And then um, anyway, long story short, they asked me to, they said that they wanted me to demo something that they were prototyping, which was the Kong module. Um, which uh, can take velocity from a drum pad or like a you know contact mic or something, and then you can route that audio and the and the uh, you know triggers and uh, velocity you know through your system. So they gave me that prototype with a couple other of their modules so that I could like start getting a hand on it, you know. And that was kind of that. It was that, and also that I pl- I played Moogfest um, like that same year, and they. Um, asked me if I wanted to borrow any gear, and uh, the mother thirty, <laughs> the mother thirty-two had just come out, and I was like, "Ah, oh, that thing seems oh. cool." I had no idea how to use it or what it was, so they sent me a couple of them, and I like put. To, I was doing a durational performance, so I like kind of figured out this kind of you know thing I could do for four hours using the sensory percussion and the and the mother and uh, and you know all this other stuff. So that, that was kind of where it started. Yeah. Okay, so it kind of got you in. You started on relatively familiar ground, being a drummer. We haven't mentioned that on the show yet, I don't think. But um, so you started with a, a, a percussion module where you could actually play drums, and then I think maybe the Mother Thirty Two. While I haven't used it, I imagine it's probably pretty intuitive and probably a pretty good idea, uh, or, or good um, maybe first big big synth to yeah. kind of get your head wrapped around. It's a great instrument. I mean, I was definitely more intrigued by the patching part than by the rest and i think that's why it stuck for me i mean the other thing i'll say is that i didn't end up actually using the kong module i was immediately just once i figured out actually how cv works then i was you know i started jamming uh i I didn't actually plug it into any drums or contact mics for actually quite a while um so I did end up going to Superbooth and demoing it for them, um, you know, sitting at a, a bunch of electronic pads and drumming and stuff. But um, 
Yeah, I, it's funny because I was, you know, it's like the way I think about it or tell people is like I was kind of peering over the edge of like this void, you know, of like uh-huh. <laughs> getting yeah. drawn into this like <laughs> deeply uh, time and money consuming hobby, like kind of with some curiosity. And then like the Bostel guys came up behind me and just like pushed me in, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's always those people on the outside that are kind of like, yeah, I had I had three people working on me at the same time to try to get me into modular and it just kind of yeah it was like the perfect storm mm-hmm. um um so i i want to talk about the fox Sopper album mm-hmm. uh, on nna tapes because i that that blew my mind and that was before i was into modular too oh wow. um as an i was before i was into being a modular synthesis i i just kind of like my these friends that i just mentioned just started kind of you know talking to me about it so it was on my radar so i knew how it worked and then when i heard what you were doing and as i got more into modular and continued to listen to that record it kind of became even more mind-boggling how you did it so i'm i'm just really curious can you walk us through just like the the uh, the conceptualization, writing, and recording of that album? I mean, yeah. The, the honest truth is, you know, we, you know, Ryan's a bud, and we, you know, be, be at shows together and stuff. I'd seen him play, and uh, we talked about doing something together. And I think we played like a show where we just kind of improvised, you know. And then uh, a friend of mine had just opened a studio uh, in Brooklyn and offered me. Uh, a couple hours in there so we took it and we recorded what became the record what what ha- you know after we did the recording we gave all this raw kind of improvised stuff to an engineer friend of ours Ernie Indradot and Ernie uh kind of took the material and really produced it into that record so that that you know that's kind of it i mean um there what we weren't interfacing the drums with modular at all it was just kind of ryan playing and me playing and sort of finding these zones you know um so yeah okay yeah that was my question i was wondering if you were syncing because there are a few moments where you guys are are very in sync with each other and you're kind of you know you're doing hits and stops at the same time and uh it just it all sounds very like while it is one of the most chaotic things that i've heard Mm. with synth um it's also it seems very um it's it's very cohesive and coherent Mm. um which i think is if you with that mixture of chaotic and like but done with intent i think is just a a good mix like i remember listening to it while i was mowing the lawn huh. one day in the summer and i was just like fuck this is like the heaviest shit i've heard in a really long time uh, um, have you heard the du- the most recent duo record i made with kid millions i haven't listened to that one yet so that record is the second fox millions duo record that came out uh in earlier this year and on that record, me and Kit are both drumming. Both of our drums uh, are have contact mics that are running through Kong into my system, and I'm processing oh, all shit. of that. And we and we <laughs> yeah. So you should probably check it out. I'm guessing you'd like okay. it. We we also had Ernie produce that one. So okay, um, cool. So yeah, two drummers uh, and then my rig sort of next to me while we were playing nice yeah i was going so i I tried to do a little research but not too much because i like the conversation to be flowy but i don't want to come into it completely blind but i was looking at all your releases and you got there's a lot of shit um (laughs) you've done a lot of stuff um some of it's shit some of it's not come on (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I didn't mean that (laughs) i know i know 
Um, but you've worked with a lot of bands. I just want to mention a few of them, which I didn't know. Like, I didn't know you were working with Liturgy. That's that's awesome. I've listened to them quite a bit. And XI, Dan Deacon, and Colin Stetson, who did uh, Hereditary soundtrack, which is like one of my favorite movies. So, mm. you're, and that's just like a few people that you've worked with. Yeah, that's like, that's true. Um. <laughs> I I don't want to be cheesy and be like, how do you find the time? But like, you're in like 19 bands. I'm actually I'm actually not. That's the thing. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. I, well, I, I don't I I don't play in liturgy anymore. Um, okay. Uh, my band XI with Colin, we do you know we maybe do one tour a year, like a couple shows a year. It's you know everybody in that band is quite busy, so we. Uh, do it when we can. Um, and the other project I do with Colin is his uh, the Sorrow Ensemble, where we play Goretzky's third, uh, sorry, Goretzky's third symphony. Um, and we do that like once or twice a year. Um, I sort of like disbanded my project Guardian Alien. Um, I do my solo stuff all the time um, here and there. Um, you know, I think that's a funny thing. A lot of people have this sort of like. Th- thought or this perception that i'm like um endlessly touring and um in (laughs) in like a million bands or something like that and i mean i'm just not i mean i am busy no doubt about that Mm -hmm. and i'm always um i do and i do travel a lot that's also very true but um yeah i i am for the most part not doing any of the bands that i used to do and i'm really mostly working on new projects and um I have a new solo record that's going to come out in the beginning of next year. Um, and a lot of tour is going to happen around that. But, uh, yeah, how do I find the time is I really am just like, uh, you know, I, I try very hard to like manage it well so that I'm not completely exhausted and so that I, uh, am available to things that come up, be they, you know, like whatever music opportunities or pursuing interests or just like, hanging out with my friends, you know, watching TV, stuff like that. Like I just, I just, you know, I know what it's like to feel slammed. So I try to kind of look ahead and make sure that I can, you know, uh, kind of like thoughtfully and responsibly project into the future as far as the spending of my time. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think time, time management seems to be, um, something you're proficient in and going back to the small town. I mean, I am a drummer, man. Come on. Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, growing up in a small town, that's actually a really, that's a really, I'm sorry, but that's a really good name for like a solo record for like a, for a drummer or for like something like that. Time management. I love that. (laughs) I'm going to use that. (laughs) But just like get a band, but constantly like say just, you're following me, but constantly take change the time signature and tempo yeah and just be like um so you have speaking of stuff like that it makes me think of like going back to the small town thing is uh growing up you know i i had you know i had a guitar i was listening to silver chair when i was you know 12 Mm -hmm. and i was like i'm gonna be a rock star when i'm 16 um but you know so that's that's like the dream when you're a kid but no, no one in my town um, knew how to encourage me and, and, and I think in like a useful way. And so it's things like time management, you know, that's, that's stuff like, Oh, these are skills that you need to put into. It's not just rocking all the time. There's, um, I don't know. It's so I'm, I'm thinking maybe that might be a difference between growing up in a city and a small town, you know, like, Oh, you can play a Nirvana song. You're going to be, Oh, you're so special in a small town. But if you're in a bigger city, you have, 
I don't know. It seems like maybe more access to people with useful advice on how to be uh, creative proficiently and professionally. Mm, um, yeah, maybe. I mean, I, um, I, I'm trying to think about that one. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, I started playing drums when I was like 11, and I also taught myself how to play guitar, and I played bass, and, uh, you know, I was messing around with computer music, and I was doing all, all kinds of stuff like that. But um, I didn't start taking drumming really seriously until I was like 16 or 17. I got a job working at a drum shop, and I met, like, my first, like, real teacher, mentor, um, who was a professional drummer you know also and um i don't know i guess it was like that and like kind of in college when i started touring for real and i kind of started to see that like well that and also seeing certain bands uh mm -hmm. where i kind of felt uh i saw something in them that resonated with me and made me feel like it was something that was more possible than i may have thought um, I don't think there was a ton of direct encouragement. I mean, I don't think until like I got my first piece of legitimate press that like my folks or people were like expecting me to have some kind of actual music career. Um, right. You know what I mean? So I don't want to say I wasn't supported. That's not what I mean, but I don't really feel like I was like encouraged either, you know? Right, right. Okay. Yeah, you just actually, so that was just kind of like a, an offshoot that I popped in my head as we were talking. But as you were just talking, that kind of made me think, it's those experiences with those people, you know, you, you have a handful of these people in your formative years that really, that really can launch you into, you know, the trajectory that you're going to maybe follow for the rest of your artistic career. Um so, so maybe it was more that, like, because my my whole thing is I had some bands that I looked up to, um, but you know, in eighth grade, ninth grade, when I had, when I was in my metal band, we just watched the Pantera home videos, and mm -hmm. we're like, that's what bands do, right? So, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's cool. So it sounds like you met your first teacher, and that was kind of like when you started taking things seriously, and. Um, did was it just one of those kind of like he saw something in you and like was really encouraging or just a really good teacher or I mean all the above I mean this is not the first person I ever studied studied music or drums with but you know this was the first person who I could really related to I mean he was I don't know he's probably maybe ten years older than me something like that maybe a little less um, and um, you know he turned me onto all kinds of music I hadn't heard before and showed me I mean. His name is Guy Licata. Guy gave me, he gave me sh the hand technique that I rely on primarily with my work. And, you know, what he gave me and what I took and it, what, what I sort of like applied it to um, is why I have a music career, you know. So that's really, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really that. That's so cool. I was just talking to, I don't know if you're familiar with Ian Body, but he's been doing synth stuff for, for years, 40 years actually. And uh, he didn't start doing music until he was older and, you know, 20 or so in college. And it's because one of his friends said, hey, I know you like this weird kind of music. There's a studio upstairs. They were in this creative space. Go check it out. Mm -hmm. And had his friend not done that, you know, he might not be into it. So it's cool to hear those. I love those stories. Like, 
you meet that one person, you got your hand technique. So you probably still would be a drummer and you probably still would have a professional career, but it could be totally different because of this hand technique, because it's something that you said you rely on. So yeah, I mean, who knows? Know. Who, who knows, man? Look, it's been a weird windy ass path. I'll tell you that. I mean, like <laughs> there's a lot of stuff I thought I was going to do that didn't happen. There's a lot of stuff I did not expect that happened. And you know, um, it's really a weird thing to be a kid and be like, I'd really like to just be a musician. And then you end up doing it, but in the all kinds of ways you just didn't know were possible, didn't expect. I mean, you know, I mean, um, it's un, it's a little, it's like really a head trip, especially with the fact that it's about to be the year 2020. And I just think about like, <laughs> you know, going on my first tour in 2006 and like you know um you know get, getting a job at like i mean i like i mean look the story it's a long story but but all this <laughs> is to say that like my main takeaway from all of it is just yeah i think kind of along the lines of what you're saying i just kept playing and um mm-hmm. i kept playing and i kept wanting to play with new people and try new things and you know I happen to also have a sort of knack for learning about tech stuff. And so I mm-hmm. think, you know, I was always interested in, it wasn't ever just drumming for me. It was always other stuff too. And um, I'm still learning, obviously. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to get into the tech stuff. I want to talk about uh, the gradual progression here mm-hmm. really um, pretty soon. But I, I wanted to ask where your kind of propensity towards, you know, the heavy side of music comes from um seems like a lot of the stuff you work on is is maybe in the, the metal or metal adjacent um experimental kind of side is is that just what you grew up listening to or did did that come from a teacher or definitely didn't come from a teacher it's part of what i came up listening to i had a lot of friends who were kind of like you know black metal geeks when we were like really i mean man like 15 and uh yeah i spent a lot of time trying to understand why they liked it um (laughs) but but i mean i uh i eventually started to find some heavier stuff that i did really like and the truth is it's really fun to play like it's really yeah it's really part of what i like so much about drumming is that i just really enjoy being very physical and um you know playing music that's loud and fast and heavy feels physically good to me so um that's a big part of my uh i guess like attraction to it um and i don't really listen to so much of it anymore i still i still do somewhat and friends will turn me on to new stuff and i'll go see bands and stuff but uh it's definitely not the majority of what i listen to by any means um i'm the same way i want to play i want to play heavier than i want to listen to yeah it depends on the context you know i mean I spend a lot of time, you know, fact is, as a professional musician, a big part of that job is office work, right? So I spend a lot yeah. of time, I spend a <laughs> lot of time in my studio answering emails on my computer and like filling out invoices and blah, 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 all this stuff, you know? And like, I don't, I, I don't, metal's not what I go to put on when I am, you know, sitting in my chair, you know? It's, uh, I, I mean, there's like, you know, there are not many, you know, if a friend hits me up and they're like, hey, you want to see like the name of some band that's obviously a metal band that I've never heard of, I'll probably say yes and go, you know. 
Like yeah. I'm always down and like, um, maybe I'll listen to that band afterwards and maybe I'll just only have been to that one show. But yeah, I just enjoy the physical aspect of it so much. That's, that's where it's at for me. But I'm just, the thing is I'm more interested in music. Well, here's, I don't know how to put this exactly. Like I love, I mean, I still have a couple bands that definitely qualify as metal projects and I, you know, I'm working on some new stuff in that arena right now. And I'm in a black Sabbath cover band too, which is like my favorite band <laughs> that I've ever done. But, um, I'm interested more in making music that sort of like simultaneously doesn't hit the nail on the head, but also, um, is how do I put this? Uh, not cryptic in any way or not alienating in any way. Not that I'm trying to like make some kind of like, I don't know, milk toast thing. But I, uh, another teacher of mine once said, you know, if you really think your shit is good, go drive to some gas station in the middle of nowhere and set up and play and see if people like it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I see exactly what you're saying. Cause I've, I've kind of have struggled with a similar thing. Um, mostly pre-modular. I, when I was making, you know, my electronic music, when I first started getting into it, um, you know, what I did on the album and what I did live, because most of the places I was playing were bars to friends who maybe weren't into the same kind of music I was into. And, you know, not everybody's into kind of the IDM experimental or whatever you want to call it. So when I played live, I would actually take all my songs and kind of throw a four on the floor on under a lot of them. Mm. And I was kind of thinking like, like, I want people to like this. I want to keep my interesting textures. I want to keep, you know, the thing that's still my thing, but I also do want to make it, I, I want this to be an enjoyable experience mm -hmm. for everybody. So I feel like that's, I don't know if that's, that's not quite the same thing as what you were saying, but I want things to be accessible. I, I don't want them to be too difficult, but I also, well, yeah, let's I, put I don't want to make a milk toast thing. Let's put it this way. I'm not interested in things being cryptic for the sake of being cryptic. Like there I'm not go. interested yeah. in creating music that's exclusive on purpose. You know? Right. And, um, right. you know, I don't think metal is that way. I think some people just dig it and some people don't. And, you know, uh, I find the metal community to be like the warmest of communities of music because, <laughs> uh -huh. you know, under underneath all the, you know, underneath all the appearance of it, it's, there's a lot of camaraderie and I really think that's a beautiful thing. Um, and I mean, even having been in a band that like received so much ire, you know, like nobody ever directed any of that at me, <laughs> you know, I was still like, I, I still felt like, um, part of the community, you know? Um, mm -hmm. and I still do, to be honest. Um, and, um, you know, it's not the primary thing I do anymore, but, you know, even shifting away from metal into like other kind of more experimental kind of stuff I've done, like, you know, if you listen to any of my music, none of it, it, it goes down the middle, but, I think it's clear that it might not be everybody's cup of tea, but I'm not, I'm just not interested in making music that like you need to have some kind of like intense history of listening to be able to contextualize it in order to appreciate it or, you know, enjoy it. Like I want to make music or participate in making music that, you know, like there isn't a high cost of entry. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. And I feel like there's a lot of variation in what you do. Um, while it still is kind of has your sensibility, you kind of explore other areas. Like we're talking about the heavy side, but not, you know, the gradual progression is not like heavy as far as like the kind of heavy that we're talking about. At least like there are a lot of like moments on there. Um, 
Well, I, I guess I wouldn't want to say it's not heavy, but it's not metal, you know? Um, it's, it's not metal. I mean, it's not metal in... It's, I mean, it's heavy. It's heavy in moments in different ways. I mean, it's definitely like... Right, exactly. It's like, there's certainly moments that are emotionally heavy or resonant in that kind yeah. of way. Um, totally. Yeah, he- heavy, heavy is a relative term, right? But um, Right, right. Uh, I think, um, yeah, it's just... I mean, like I said before, I like playing... I like playing very physically. That's something that I usually do, you know? So... I think that I like, I like physically speaking, I like to really, you know, go for it. And I like to kind of push things as far as I can with the drumming. And then otherwise I just look for spaces that feel emotionally resonant for me. And I try to kind of like maximize on that resonance in the writing process. And if it's a solo thing, then I explore that resonance, you know, in performance and in recording. And if it's a collaborative thing, then I try to, kind of make space for other people to explore that with me, you know, um, mm-hmm. or, or bring, or bring myself into whatever other people are presenting, you know? So yeah, it kind of, it kind of starts to get really like, uh, granular as far as like what kind of music any of this is, or like what even the goal is besides connecting and communicating, you know? Totally. Yeah. And in context of that, I don't know if I'm going to be able to actually formulate this verbally because it's something I've thought about. But, um, and this isn't throwing shade in either direction of what kind of musicians or, you know, it's, it's a, it's definitely a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A spectrum. But, you know, just like a, I was like six months ago or something. I don't even remember what band it was, but it was a band that I'd listened to in college and they released, you know, like their 10th album. And I was like, oh, I haven't listened to them in a while. And I listened to it and I was like, yeah, it's, they're just, they're doing, they're doing the thing and it's, it works for them and it's cool. You know, that's cool that they've had a long career or whatever, but I'm just like, it made me think about different, you know, the different types of brains that are in the, the creative world. And I'm like, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Like, I never want to make the same thing over and over again because I want to explore things and and I don't know where I'm going with this, but it seems like you're you're more cut from the 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 ilk that I'm talking about where it's more about the the search and expression than it is about just being like, well, I got to write another batch of songs, you know. That's what I'm talking about when I say hitting the nail on the head. Like that's it's too easy. It's just like I don't know. It's like let's like let's sit down and play the blues, and I'll just like play a blues shuffle while you like play up and down the blues scale. You know what I'm saying? It's like uh-huh. it's like <laughs> that's fun. And some people, you know, the thing that makes that good is people bringing their, you know, their soul into it. Right? That's what makes that good. Mm-hmm. It's not the form, right? And like and like you know and and there are amazing blues musicians. Yeah, I'm not trying to talk shit on the blues. I love it really, but like yeah. I'm just not personally interested in doing one four five every night or something like it like i can't do four on the floor i can't do you know it needs to be different i mean along lines of what you said i get um uh it gets tedious to keep repeating yourself at least for me and um i you know i'm the things i'm interested in repeating are like collaborations like i'm interested in making more music with people who i feel really connected to that's the kind of that's the kind of familiar territory i like to tread in you know um but when it comes to actual the thing you're making um yeah i have not i i mean i have not ever been in a project that 
ever did anything the same way twice. Yeah. Um, now, okay. Speaking of projects, I, I want to get into the gradual progression now. And I watched kind of like this little like mini doc on how you did that. And it was really interesting, but for the listener, can you kind of walk us through what that album is and how you did it? Cause it's pretty remarkable. Well, sure. The gradual progression came out in 2017. Um, on revenge records um and for the most part what's going on in that record is i'm using a technology that a friend of mine invented um which is called sensory percussion and what sensory percussion does is it pretty much turns a drum set into an extremely versatile and sensitive midi controller um that you can not only generate you know you know many different cv notes or 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 cc what is it again cc cv i'm getting confused you know midi notes whatever you could Uh you could generate midi note (laughs) i sound like such a dummy here um you can you can you can generate individual notes like you would on a keyboard right but then you can Mm -hmm. also get you can get control right so you can get like the kind of thing that would you know turning a knob on a MIDI controller or something like this, you can also get out of the drum set by playing a certain way. It uses machine learning algorithms to learn kind of what is going on physically with the drum set that you're actually playing and the way that you play. And then you can create, you know, sort of your own architecture for what happens when, you know, when I do this on the drums, that happens in the computer, right? Or, you know, or in whatever you route your MIDI to, right? So I, you know, was one of the first people to start using this because I was like messing around with it when it was in beta. And, um, you know, I kind of put all this music together and then I um, had a couple of very close friends who are like really incredible musicians come and join me in the studio and contribute to it. And, um, and, the, and you know, and the record is what happened. So when you're, if I remember right, you're playing the drums, so you're playing an acoustic kit yeah. and the actual part that you're playing on the drums is part of the, the song, but the, you have set up each part of the, even multiple parts of a single head could s- trigger different samples, right? Or notes. Yeah. Every, you can get something like 10 different assignments per drum. Okay. Now how much time, I just imagine that would be a pretty laborious task to get everything to match like in the structure that you want the song that fits with the way that you're playing the, the specific part of that song on the drums. Like, was that something that you had? I mean, I imagine you sat down and had to spend quite a lot of time mapping that out. I mean, it took me about, it took me about from the time that, so uh, my friend's name is Talakael Esparza who invented it from the time that he brought it to my studio to the record coming out was a period of, I don't know, maybe, three years or something like that oh Um, wow wow i mean first of all just wrapping my head around how it worked and how to use it and then Mm -hmm. and then figuring out what i wanted to do with it and i you know i mean i i don't use it in the same way that a lot of other folks do um i kind of kind of followed my own intuition with it um Mm -hmm. and uh i a lot of it has how do I just basically um yeah it was more it was a matter of kind of like wrapping my head around using it to begin with just like technologically and then it was about kind of what is the 
I really, it's like kind of architectural. It's like, how, how does this all sit in the computer space so that I can create something that, you know, are, you know, I can create individual pieces of music that also um, are flexible so that they'll respond to the way I play and I don't have to worry about, you know, like playing a wrong note and then everything being off or something like that. So okay, it, okay. Took, it took a while to figure out how to do that. And then once I did figure that out, um, which was like a major kind of like eureka moment, then the matter of actually writing the music was just a matter of exploring creatively. It was less, at that point, dealing with the technology itself was, uh, was in the background. That makes a lot of sense. I guess in my mind, I was picturing you were handed this technology and then instantly started to make an album with it. So huh. yeah, that definitely no, makes more sense. Not at <laughs> okay, all. I was like, how the fuck did he do that? No, 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 not at all. I took my time. I mean, like, yeah, I had a, um, I had a residency at an art space in New York called Pioneer Works. And while I had that residency, that's where I really, um, I mean, the way I kind of describe it is that's where I built my instrument because, uh, I, you know, so much of it is just the on the software side as far as how it responds. And um, that, yeah, so that was kind of the, how I, I spent a lot of, I spent a lot of time trying different things. You know, I mean, the first thing mm-hmm. I tried to do, the, he gave it to me and I was like, all right, cool. What I want to do is I want to control a gamelan ensemble with the drum set, right? So mm-hmm. I rig up all these, you know, MIDI instruments with all these samples and, uh, you know, all this synthesis in the computer and I'm like ready to roll. And, you know, I've got like 14 instruments going and I like hit one note and my computer crashes, you know? It's just like, <laughs> so, I, so I, had to, I had to wrap my head also around MIDI, the processing of MIDI itself and what the, C, uh-huh. what the CPU load of that is, you know? And like what I could do within the parameters of what my computer could handle, you know? So, uh, so that, uh-huh. that, that was a lot of the work was just, figuring out how I could create something fluid and, and colorful and expressive that wouldn't create, you know, anywhere from a little bit of digital clipping all the way to like my computer frying, you know? So, <laughs> so that, that's really what the work was at for the first ye- couple years, you know? And then once I wrapped my head around that, that's why it's like, it was really a matter of like building an efficient architecture. And once I did that, then it was just a matter of exploring sound. Okay. So in the context of us, of our conversation a few minutes ago about not wanting to try, you know, to, to repeat yourself, um, this sounds like a, a technology that could be used in many different ways and you could go a lot of creative directions with it. Do you, do you plan on using it again, um, to approach a new, uh, an album and do something different with it? Or are you kind of like, that was too much work? Uh, no, um, there's my, I mean, there's sensory stuff on my next record. Um, okay. Um, I, yeah, I like using it a lot. It's, that's the thing. I did the work already. So it's not, mm-hmm. it's not like I have to reinvent the wheel when I am creative with sensory percussion at this point. It's more just a matter of, yeah, like I said, well, you know, I might hear something and think, oh, like what, I wonder, you know, if I'm kind of like moving this around how it would sound in the context of this other sound and you know just start to kind of put things together and and listen you know so that's the thing i like don't yeah i'm um no i'm i'm i mean i'm i still use it i mean when i to, when i tour solo 
you know, I, I that's what I do. Um, I, I also now bring a modular rig with me, but it used to just be me and the computer and the drum set. Okay. So is Stone Pillar kind of the the mixture of modular modular in that technology then? Uh no, there's no Stone Pillar. You know, I made that so long ago I hardly even remember. Um Stone that <laughs> that came that is I think that's just modular. Um Okay. That's just modular and that also was recorded. I built a studio I have like uh I built my studio in Brooklyn not this past summer but the summer before and that was kind of one of the first things i recorded there so it was like one of the first times i'd ever engineered drums myself for something that i put out um and um man when did i even record that maybe oh god i really don't remember um (laughs) it's a relatively recent release though right? yes it it came out recently but i sent that into uh i sent that into long form editions a while a while ago um okay and um yeah it's funny i i have this tendency where i'll like make things and release them and then i forget like everything about (laughs) them including what they sound like you know um (laughs) like i had to actually when when it came out i had to actually like skim through it and listen and then it was like oh yeah there were drums on this i totally forgot you know (laughs) because the other the other thing too is when i'm naming things like um a lot of the time I'll give something a working title while I'm like working on it or it's in the box or whatever. And mm-hmm. and then, you know, it comes time to put a thing out and give it a name and, you know, uh, th- it's not always so easy to quickly just like force a name on a thing. So sometimes the some of the names that I use are like interchanged between different pieces, you know? <laughs> so like I'll be like I'll be like which stone pillar is this? <laughs> oh oh it's the one That's i funny. it's the one i put out got it okay got it you know? yeah and then like the other stone pillar ends up getting a different name and coming out on a different record you know right <laughs> well for those listening it's it's a 48 minute track i think it's it's a pretty long track and um when i first heard it um i was and it kind of coincided with me starting to see more pictures of you posting of your your setup and i'm like oh all right, Greg's getting into modular now. So, were you mowing um, your lawn when you listened to it? N- no, not that one. I don't. No. I think the, the lawnmower would have over overpowered this one. Uh-huh. But, um, <laughs> um, well, we're we're getting to be about that time where I'm going to give you some words uh, to inspire a patch. But, is there anything that maybe we have uh, talked about that you feel like we haven't covered sufficiently? Yeah, I mean, we didn't actually talk about modular that much. No, that's all right. I'm more interested in just hearing the people's story. I think that's cool. what people are more interested in. Cool. I, I mean, you gotta give people what they want. For though, almost, you know. you got, yeah. You gotta. Well, yeah, I've been, you know, doing this for two years. I talk to one to two people a week. Like wow. I can't, I can only talk about gear so much, you know? Ugh. Um, nobody but wants I guess, to talk about you know, that. Right. <laughs> um, I, I guess in, in the context of modular and, and being somewhat somewhat new, I mean, how long have you been taking it seriously? Like um, diving into your own system? A couple of years, a year? I got my system in, let's see, 2000. Uh, what year is it? 2019. So <laughs> let's see. Mm, probably 2000. 15 or 16 was when I got started, when I got in. Yeah. I want to say 2015, 2016. So, um, 
Yeah, that's I've been I mean I've been taking it seriously the whole time, but like I didn't start playing shows until last year. Um, okay, so you gave yourself a few years to get you know comfy and then started bringing it out relatively um, comfy yeah i'd say so yeah yeah i don't know if how comfortable you can totally get but i guess um you're right let's talk about module a little bit i got a, a somewhat generic question but i have a feeling you could speak to it how has um how's being a drummer uh informed your patching technique or what kind of modules you look for because i come from a guitar background so we might have totally different approaches to what we want um to get out of our system yeah well there's two different answers to that one is you know the ability to uh like speak so harmonically you know in music is obviously something you can't really do on the drums so it's really satisfying to be able to kind of paint with those colors um that's quick answer number one number two is when it comes to actually expressing rhythmic ideas um i like i said i like you know i it needs i just i'm always it's always changing so it's funny to me that a lot of people tell me that they hear my drumming in when i put you know in the modular stuff that i do um <laughs> so i'm glad to hear that i feel like the cool yeah. i feel like overall the coolest thing about it and the thing that it's really made me realize and think about a lot which is still something i'm thinking about is i mean so what i'm in i'm really interested in exploring creativity right i'm not super mm -hmm. interested in like getting deep 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 into technique or gear or you know even like song or you know composing or anything like that it's more about just like expressing creativity and um you know i want to i you know a lot there are a lot of musicians who i really respect and admire who do more than one thing and when you go see them mm -hmm. play you don't really know what they're going to do necessarily you know like mm -hmm. like Oren Mbarchi for me is like one of the epitomes of that you know it's like He's a multi-instrumentalist, and I've seen him play drums with people. I've seen him play guitar. I've seen him do a bunch of things that sound very different, and his recordings all sound very different, and I really like that. So I think with Modular 2, kind of, it kind of was this space for me where I could really explore all these creative ideas and sort of ask the question or experiment with, like, what if I just show up with this, you know? Like, what if I... Uh, what if, what if I like, can I get away from being a drummer and can I just be a musician in the eyes of people who, you know, care to listen, you know? So that, okay. that's been really cool. Yeah, that's interesting. Cause I was, I was, I was kind of curious about that thinking about, um, for some reason the Variegate, I mean, I was just talking about how I don't want to talk about gear, but the Variegate 8 popped into my head, um, when I was thinking about you as a modular synthesis, but then it made me wonder like, well, is is he is interested in and creating the percussive side on that? Since oh yeah, maybe you you know you scratch that itch on your drum kit. I'm looking at mine right now, man. I love that thing. I mean, oh, it's, you have okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, Basic hit me up with the he hooked me up with that and the, what's the other one that goes with it? Um, the, uh, the voltage block. Yeah, yeah. Those are I mean, so cool, so powerful. Being able to deal in probability. I mean, that's. Mm -hmm. that's like what i that's like uh, it's like incredibly amazing to be able to set things in a range of probability that's how i work with sensory so um yeah i love that i love the ability to have things be unpredictable but within a framework you know um uh -huh. i love that yeah it, no that that 
was uh, I got rid of some gear that I didn't need anymore when I got that thing. Yeah, I was uh, I was gonna say I was like if if he if he hasn't used it yet, then I was like you should definitely try it out. So are are you using other things for your for your gate and trigger sequencing, or are you kind of I mean that's a that's a pretty big powerhouse those two modules. I mean we're talking probably like eighty HP between the two of them or something. Like yeah, that. they're big. Not quite that much, but they're you know that's that's a bit, but they're very powerful. They they're, are they're justifiably big. I just don't um, I don't always use them. Um, I mean right now. I mean, I've been working on a piece of, uh, I don't know, I'm working on this piece right now that I'm going to record next year uh, that, um, you know, there isn't even really a sequencer in it at all. It's, um, there's, uh, I'm using an envelope follower and I'm running that into a, uh, like, a, what's it, like a clock divider. And that's how I'm getting mm-hmm. all the gates, you know. Um, yeah. And, uh and so the what the envelope follower is following is a recording of somebody's voice and so oh. you know and that sets off all these sort of rhythmic chains but um mm-hmm. uh, there isn't a regular rhythm to the speaking you know it, there is for moments and then it changes right so now are you using the audio signal of the speaking as part of the piece too or is yes. it kind of muted and okay yeah okay cool it's a it's a it's a it's a cha- it's a recording of some chanting that um i'm actually in the i'm learning it, to do it so eventually i'll be running my own voice through the envelope follower while it's all running but for now i have this recording of it that i'm using oh wow that's so like so um potentially or or in the future you'll be playing this live and doing the chant while you're playing it yes that's the idea <laughs> that sounds awesome yeah um what kind of chant is it it's a recita it's a recitation of the uh discourse on um uh on, on the four kinds of awareness uh that uh the man himself gautama buddha delivered 2600 years ago Oh, okay. So do you have like a meditation practice or is this something that you're just kind of dabbling in for more creative sides? Yeah, I'm a, I mean, I'm a Vipassana practitioner. Oh, cool. All right. Um, I, I, I have been trying, um, I read a lot of Chogyam Trumpa and I have moments. Of, yeah, uh, Shamba- taking it seriously. Shambhala is interesting. I think he also had moments of taking it seriously. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I, I checked Shambhala out for a little while. I used to go to the community you know evenings and stuff and there i i there were some good talks there and um i liked the technique that they taught but vipassana was the one that uh made me feel like i wasn't looking for what it is anymore um so i i I very highly recommend it on top of which uh it's completely free uh so there's Mm -hmm. no you know i tried very hard to poke holes in the organization and i was skeptical about it and there were really no holes to poke um you, they offer these 10 day courses all over the world and they put you up and they feed you and you spend 10 days practicing and learning the Vipassana meditation technique as was taught word for word by the guy who discovered it, you know? Uh, you know, okay. So it's like, there's no money involved in it. It's all run by donation and everybody who works there is volunteer. And, uh, it's, uh, it's 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 yeah it's um there's no bullshit you know so and i imagine going to some something i've I've thought about doing something like that or a retreat just just to stick it in my in the part of my mind that that maybe 
I did the thing, so I'm going to keep up with the daily practice. Like I've, I've had stints of a month of having a daily practice, you know, wake up in the morning and just, you know, do the follow your breath thing. But I always managed to fall off, even though, you know, I, I have heard him, um, I forgot who said it, but you know, the, the remembering is kind of like the whole thing. Like you, you forget to do it, but coming back, that's like, that's like one of the whole purposes of it or not really purpose. Cause that's not really the, the type of verbiage you'd use, but, um, but yeah, I've thought about doing something like that. And I, I think I'm going to look something like that up here in Seattle. Cause I know there's a bunch of resources. Um, I'm sure they so have you, one you in do Seattle. A daily thing. Uh, yeah. I, ideally, twi- ideally twice a day, but that's, I can't always do that. So I try, I try to do it at least once a day. Okay. So like 15 minute chunks or 30 minute chunks or nice. No, I sit for an hour. An hour. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, that takes that takes um, some I mean, building it's, up too. I could, but yeah, well, 10 days of practicing it for 10 hours a day yeah. makes it a lot easier. <laughs> I mean, when I when I went yeah. when I went to the course when I got there I couldn't even sit for an hour, you know. Um it took yeah. it took me a while to be able to even just physically do it. Um and uh you know, I before that I would sit for 20 minutes in the morning here or there, you know. Uh and I and I mean I I like was very, you know, uh, lots of like intellectual experience as far as you know reading and listening to people speaking and things like this um but uh the going and doing a thing like this for ten days, you get actual experience you know as they say when you're there and it's it's mm-hmm. it's, it's it's a different thing and it makes it easier. The hardest thing about it is just well first of all time, especially if you're a professional musician, you're up until three o'clock in the morning. You know, and then, yeah. and then you got to get up the next day even earlier so you can get your hour before you, you know, do whatever you're doing or get in a van or something. That's it's hard. Um, but, but you know, speaking to what you said, you know, yeah, sometimes you b- balance is like a is like a perfect state, you know, and like I don't really think there's such a thing as like actual perfect balance. I think you kind of aim for it, and sometimes you teeter to one side and sometimes you teeter to the other side, you know, so. You keep up the practice for a while, and then you drop it, and you swing over this way, and then you know you go swing back the other. You know, it's like you try to keep it as close to the middle as you can, but you know, yeah, you got to also See, be easy on is, yourself. Totally, yeah. That's 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 when I'm talking to my you know friends about it. When I'm when I'm kind of like in that headspace and really practicing and. um you know, just having conversations about it. That's one of the first things that I say, you know, you, you bring this up to people and they're like, I can't meditate. And it's like, no, well, no one can. And stop being so hard on yourself. And don't, you know, like if you sit there and you try to follow your breath for five minutes and you, and you find that 30 seconds in, you've lost track. Don't beat yourself up for it. That's the whole point. It's just, if you can just remember when you lose track to get back on track, that is the whole thing, you yeah. know? So the practice, yeah, the, um, the practice is catching your attention, you know? Mm-hmm, that, totally. that's the thing honing and practicing your attention just strengthening your mind you know it's like uh i mean i'm in kindergarten man you know i did I, totally I, I, <laughs> I, I, did, I did the course in august but i've been keeping it up since august and um that's great i mean so it was super inspiring for me and then um i started getting deeper into reading the buddha suttas and um you know this one the, it's the mahasatipatthana sutta and that's the one that uh is the basis of this meditation teaching. And, uh, I just think it sounds beautiful. So, mm-hmm. uh, one day I was in the shower and I was like, what would happen if, what would happen if I ran that through a gate? What would happen? <laughs> you know, it's like, what would happen? Like, like, could I use this to like trigger stuff? And then I had to figure out a bunch, I had to like figure out how to do it. 
And funnily enough, <laughs> funnily enough, the way I figured out how to do it was by using Kong, which is that first module that I was ever given by the Bostel guys. Um, oh, wow. So bring it full it, circle. It comes back around. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, this, I'm, I've talked about meditation on the show a little bit and you know, I have a lot of listeners who are, are into it. So we, we have, you know, dialogues about it, but it's so funny to me that like, it's it's not a, it's not a cure all. I hate this whole idea of like you're gonna this this image of you like floating above a mat with like all your cho- chakras g- glowing and stuff. Like it's more of just like to me in my view, it's more of just like a practical application to just kind of you know enduring you know this experience of life and and you know and I don't know. I, I think I think the westernization of it has kind of fried it a little bit and turned it and, and turned a lot of people off to it. Um, but the funny thing is, is I do feel better when I have a regular practice and I struggle with depression and anxiety. And when I'm feeling particularly depressed and anxious, sometimes I'm just like, Hey, remember that thing that you used to do mm-hmm, every mm-hmm. day that made this better? Like, mm-hmm. why aren't you doing that? Now? Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it is a, it is a, uh, it is a proven path to the, uh, cessation of suffering. The deeper you get into doing the work, the less, you know, the more you're suffering, the inevitable suffering of the human condition is mitigated, you know. Um, yeah. You're dealing with, uh, you know, you're dealing with, you know, craving and aversion. And it's like trying to sort of like lessen the amount of both that you have in your life, right? So that, mm-hmm. you know, you're not uh, making bad decisions <laughs> or, you know, um, spending a lot of time being uncomfortable you know totally so i don't know i mean like i said i'm in kindergarten with this shit but i like it's i recommend it just like as highly as anything else and uh you know i mean and it's free so you know anybody can sign up and go take a course and if you like really hate it you can leave but you know uh, yeah totally. i I think i think not to mention you get a 10 days away from your phone uh and you know everybody could use that Man, I've been to my, uh, my brother-in-law has a cabin out in the middle of the, the woods here by Mount Rainier kind of, and, um, there's no cell phone service there and we'll go out there for three nights on end. And it's amazing. Like I don't once, once it's like an airplane mode and in the backpack, like I don't miss it. No. Um, it's, it's really remarkable. Um, well, thanks for talking to me about that. I'm glad this came up because yeah, I think I needed this conversation right now. Yeah, I'm just um, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna c- plug it even more because uh, I, their I, their their generosity cannot be repaid, at least to me. But the website is dhamma.org, which is d h a m m a dot org, and when you go to that website, you can find all the places in the world where they offer these free courses. Uh, and it's not religious. There's nothing sectarian about it. There's nothing culty about it. There's no bullshit. Uh, you know, it's just, you go sit and you're isolated from the outside world while you do it. So, mm-hmm. you know, every, I, I highly, 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 highly recommend it to everybody. I'll, th- I'll throw a link to that in the show notes. Cool. Um, please. Yeah. Cool. Well, I could, I mean, I could talk about this shit for, uh, you know, another two hours, but we're going to have to start it. We're going to have to start a new, we're going to have to start a new podcast. <laughs> Yeah, we'll call it Peditation Modcast. <laughs> God, I, I quit, man. <laughs> <laughs> I can't take credit for that joke. My friend Kyle, my friend Kyle's been giving me shit. He's, right. He keeps asking me when I'm starting Peditation Modcast. Oh my God! Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so 
I go to this this website and just create and uh, just generate random adjectives and nouns, and sometimes it takes a while, but um, and they're mostly really bad. Let me but get the first a, one that get, popped up. Let me get so a pen bad. and a piece of paper. Hold on a sec. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready. Here we go. Well, the first I'll, I can give you some options, but the first one that came up is alien precaution. Interesting. Okay. I can keep going, um, but like so, the one that just came up next is proportional forecast. Like that's nothing. Proportional representative, <laughs> representative rug, static incident. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Are you writing all these down? Yeah, I'm writing. You don't them need down. to write. You don't need to write them all down. What's you can the, just if you grab, the, if you hear one that you like. What was the rug one again? Oh, I already passed it. It was uh, shit. I don't know. <laughs> okay. All right. What's, it was like. In, give me one more. Abstract management. Oh, I like that. that that's almost, the one I'm doing. That, that. that sounds like you. Yeah. I was going to say that fits our conversation, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Great. Hey, I just want to interrupt this chat briefly to tell you about the AI synthesis Eurorack Tape Echo Interface, which is a limited edition module from AI synthesis that allows you to use a standard three head tape recorder as an analog tape echo unit. It also pro. It also provides op-amp saturation on the input when pushed. Abe just sent me a DIY kit, which I'm really excited about. I haven't built a kit in a while. And he sent me a modded out tape tape player to use with it. So demos are coming soon. I just haven't had time to build it yet, but I did want to tell you about it. So go to AISynthesis.com to learn more. Okay, great. Okay, so you had abstract management. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I uh, I always like to ask what what the time limit did to your brain. Like, do you usually work quickly, or is this an unusual process for you? I usually, I mean, I I usually get sounds. Yeah, I usually work relatively quickly. I mean, uh, I didn't feel like under duress or anything. Um, but I guess um, I kind of just looked around at what I had that wasn't already patched up into this other project <laughs> I've been working on, and. <laughs> you know plugged some things in threw some things together and made a patch and turned it on and kind of just committed to it yeah i think that's what you got to do and with the with the 15 minute time limit or else uh yeah you could get yourself into a little bit of trouble i've done it a few times um not as many as i should because i submit so many people to it but um uh i usually find that i'm the first time I check the clock when I'm feeling like, oh shit, I might be out of time. I still have like six minutes left. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm in good shape. Um, how did the words shape the direction you went? Uh, I just, I got to say abstract management uh, feels pretty natural to me. So I <laughs> just kind of did what I do, which is like, you know, I just picked a couple things you know that would cover a couple bases and plug them in without really thinking about what they'd sound like and then i just i pressed record and the sound that started sounded good so then i figured when i brought the rest of the stuff in we'll just see if that also works and i I think it kind of did so (laughs) i think it kind of worked is the best we can really hope for off of a a weird 15 minute thing um or or in life in general actually so there you go (laughs) right (laughs) um you want to give us just a quick rundown on what you used and in what way uh yeah let me take a look here so i uh let's see i used um 
was clocking from marbles. Um, and then well, that's kind of all I was doing, actually. I was literally just, which kind of was redundant. I thought I was going to use it more, but I didn't. So then uh-huh. uh, all the gates are from variegate. Um using the voltage block a little bit and the Erica graphic VCO. Okay. And then uh, the squid sample thing oh, from ALM, yeah. which I um, got my hands on recently and have started messing around with. So I was definitely using some stock sounds in there. Um, and then uh, running that all through Morphogene. Okay, so you're using the squid sampler and Morphogene. I was going to ask if you had other samplers and... Um, it seems like, you know, the, the big guys are Morphogene and the STS and now Squid's out. I was wondering if, uh, I haven't messed with it. Is it, is it close to either of those? Is it, it seems like it's, it's a very different thing to me. Yeah. It seems like a okay. very different thing. I mean, um, at least as far as how deep I've got with it, which is not super deep, but it's, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a different kind of thing. I think it's cool that you can really easily sample into it and, um, you know, um, th- all those things are easily gated. I think that the morphogene is a different thing altogether. Morphogene is like my favorite instrument. Um, it's kind of, um, it's yeah, it's just a, it's an, it's another thing entirely. I was going to ask about that because that's I've got like a three module wish list and and that is on there. Um, but I, I hear such polarizing views on it. I hear from some people that it's what you just said. Um, I watched Bana Hafar play the most mind blowing set I've ever seen on modular uh, using mainly Morphogene. But mm-hmm. then I've had some people say it's it's pretty deep and you have to spend a lot of time with it before you can really get it to do anything. Um, well, sometimes but, things are worth taking a lot of time to get into you know <laughs> yeah yeah i mean I, I i mean i don't even know what the sts is so i can't compare anything to that but um morphogene is just like i i always use it i always always use it i don't even just always use it in in the context of other modules i in my production work i'll run things through it just as a send you know i mean okay i, I, I use it all the time yeah, I think I think I'm that's 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 one of the next one. The STS is the 4MS and I think that that's something like Daedalus uses that when he kind of does like the DJ approach to modular. So I think mm-hmm. STS might be a little bit more um useful for like a straightforward approach to sampling, but it sounds like Morphogene is is not just a sampler. It's just like a crazy effect and instrument kind of all wrapped up in one. Yeah, it's a different thing. It's a different thing. But I mean, you know, I'm my approach with all this stuff is it's cool to try everything out and just like anything else, people's individual takes on things will, you know, if you can find ex- all different kinds of expression using the same instruments, right? So, I just yeah. think whatever the interface is, if it works for people, that's cool and like you know, that's the other great thing about the whole modular world. If you get something and you don't like it and you just throw it up on, you know, one of these websites or something like that and you you know, you can get something else. Yeah, yeah, we got a pretty active uh, trading community here in Seattle with a Facebook group that uh, that can be pretty fun. That's um, dope. Yeah, it's 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 something some people look down their nose at, um, and it's it's definitely something that I've I've gotten away from. But there's there is a collector's mentality to this too. It's uh, meh. It's I mean my my whole thing is it's just like look I'm not even partial to my drum set right and I've had it <laughs> since I've had it since I was 16 you know it's like I don't I think you know as I was like really deep into like uh the Korg EMS1 and ES ESX1 for a long time I was doing a ton of music with those two 
pieces of hardware and I loved them. And then, you know, uh, one of them got stolen. And when that got, thing got stolen, all the things I had sampled into it were gone too. And I tried to get a replacement and keep messing with it, but like just the thrill was gone. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, I, I moved on and, uh, you know, when modular, when I started getting deeper into modular, I got rid of most of the other hardware I had that because Same here. I just didn't want to touch <laughs> it anymore. So I don't know. I don't think it's good to be precious about the actual things. Obviously, it's easier said than done. But like, um, you know, the other thing about it too, right, is like, it's a hot, like the thing about modular is this. It's like it's like the train sets of music, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like it's like you could spend forever and and like all your money assembling a ridiculously gigantic system, and nobody will ever hear anything you ever do, and have yeah. a ton of fun with it. You know, it's like it's really just about what you do with it and what it satisfies for you. So people want to collect it, like baseball cards. Great if people want to swap it. That's definitely more my style, but yeah. You know, yeah, I like switching it up. I've got a little Make Noise Seven U case, and I've got just like a whole box of modules in the other room that aren't in there right now. But that isn't like the, you know, the the island of discarded modules. They they, it's a constant. It just depends on what I'm building or what what am I after. Um, and I like kind of keeping it reduced to a, a smaller thing. I can get a little overwhelmed. But that said, I am getting a 15U 120HP case in the mail tomorrow. So, Which which uh, case? Uh, Needham Woodworks. Oh, I've seen their stuff. That stuff is, wow, that stuff is amazing. It is absolutely gorgeous. I'm I'm so excited for my... That, that's, um, like, that's, like the not, that's like the deeply non-tour case. Right. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to keep the seven U for live shows because I'd need a hand truck to carry this thing out. And it's like just it's like beautiful wood furniture that's like handcrafted. I'm not going to be bringing that out into public spaces. What's the seven U? I got the make noise with the the bus thing. Like you said, that's dope. That's dope. Yeah, Yeah, I uh, I find it to be really useful. Yeah. Oh, the, the, the like shared system case or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, because it's got that like molt in the middle with it. It's got yeah. like a, a quarter inch in, and then stereo that out on the nice. other side. Yeah, I have it's, a, and it's durable. I, I have a case that's the same size that was made by the Harvestman. You know, like industrial. Uh, oh yeah, whatever. I know Scott. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so Scott. So I have this case. I found this thing on eBay. And it was, I was just like, wait, what the hell is this? It's like a briefcase, right? And, and um, <laughs> I, I was just like checking it out. It has a 1U panel on it that has mults and Nintendo button latches. Oh, and, oh um, shit, nice. And the, when I got it, the electronics inside, the power and all was like really messed up. And I contacted him and I was like, hey, man, like uh, I went over to Control and, I, I, you know, but I, some connections over there and they, they contacted him and they were like, hey, would you be down to like fix this case that you built? And he was like, "Nope." So, so, <laughs> so I, I, I had to, I hired a friend who's good with this kind of stuff, and I replaced all the power. But yeah, I have this crazy. It's like I don't think it's even. I don't even know if it's one U or if it's just a different size. But I, it's got Nintendo buttons on it, and that's the thing that's, that I travel with. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty um, cool. Yeah, and just you know, since we were talking about, um, just going back a few minutes, we, we were talking about. Uh, you know, not being precious about anything and, and, you know, building a huge system and making music that maybe no one will ever hear. Um, and because we were talking about meditation, it's something I've mentioned before on the show, but I think it's just kind of an interesting in context of our conversation. I used to pretty much record everything I made before I got into modular and like I would will it into a track and I was, I was really pro- prolific and getting into modular at, 
it kind of like, I'm just now starting to really record a lot again after two years. And, uh, I kind of look at a patch as like a mandala or something, you know, like it exists. Yeah, yeah. And if you like it, you can record it. But if not, you know, you can wipe it away. And if there's almost something, it's kind of like the Zen and the art of, art of the motorcycle maintenance thesis. Sure. It's like the, the, the joy is in the, the work it's in the process. Yeah, I agree entirely, except for the fact that there's this piece of music that I like am writing that just is a patch and like I'm still working on it, but I don't this is the first time that I've really you know, like for this fifteen minute thing I probably would have like torn all the cables out and made something new with my main situation, but like I can't undo this system right now because uh-huh. <laughs> it's like gonna be like I'm, I mean, like, I'm putting the, it's like, I don't know what even what I'm going to do because this thing is going to be like, I'm, I'm putting a lot of eggs in this basket right now. You know right. what I mean? And, and like, right. I can't, I, I theoretically could repatch it. It would be a little different and that's okay. And like, it might actually be good practice to do that a couple of times, but like, you know, I don't know. I mean, I played a gig last night doing this piece and like, I don't know. I can't. I can't mess it up. You know what I mean? So like, usually usually I'm all about just ripping everything out and starting fresh, but this is like the, I don't even know what I'm going to do when I have to travel and like, I want (laughs) to do other stuff because it's also not in a case that really travels well. So like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. We'll see. I'll probably just, I'm just being precious about it right now, but I'll probably just rip it (laughs) out, you know. Well, I think there's something to be said about that too. Like I'm, I'm getting to the point where my patches stay. I used to do, you know, three or four patches in a day and maybe not record any of them. What I have right now, I'm playing a show on Friday for my record release. Oh, nice. And this has been patched up for, um, about two weeks now and I'm keep and I keep finding ways to mess with it. Um, but that's, that's usual. That's pretty unusual for me, but I was talking with Matthew, I think it was Matthew Hodson, uh, a British guy, um, makes some really cool, like, uh, experimental techno almost on it. He has a seven U case that he leaves patched. He's just built his instrument and that's just his instrument. And he just leaves it patched like that. And I'm, I'm thinking maybe with the Needham case showing up, using my seven U case of like in between shows, if I don't have anything booked, just try to work on that concept almost and try to like flip what I usually do and maybe find a way to turn it into just an instrument. And I feel if I did that, even if it didn't become something I used, you know, in the long term, it would definitely help me wrap my head around the modules that are in that case. Cause with the yeah. whole plucking in and out these, a lot of these things are so deep. I haven't scratched the surface on yeah. hardly any of them, you know? So yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that's that's the thing. It's like I could still do this little jam here, you know. And I like there's other stuff to play with for sure. But, um, you know, I don't. It's a weird. I don't know. I mean, I was. <laughs> I'm still figuring it out, you know. I mean, I have like uh, I have I have I have like three weird cases, and uh, the smallest one travels the easiest, and the the other two really don't. And like I can, I, all my stuff fits in these three cases, you know. Uh-huh. But 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 like, I I'm still I still think about changing it up and like getting rid of these cases, getting a this case, and you know I mean mm-hmm. it's so 
it's annoying, man. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I don't want to think about the case, but like actually with this shit, it's so much of it, you know, is like where you, how, how you house this so that you can bring it around or access it easily or like use it in the mm-hmm. studio easily. Like it's such a consideration. Like, I mean, I've even thought about getting like, um, some of those like rack ears like whatever they i don't know who makes them but you can put them into like regular studio racks you know oh yeah and, like a tip top that's what yeah, i did yeah i mean i think i might do because i use a lot of this stuff in the studio just as outboard gear and like mm-hmm. i sometimes i think about just you know getting one of those things and racking up like the regular the studio stuff that's like always there you know the effect i've thought like about that, that too yeah definitely i think if if you know in the long term, like when I, my wife and I would like to buy a house in the next five years, maybe when I have a house and can build my own studio, I'll do you something better get, like that. You better get rid of all that modular before you buy that house, man. <laughs> no shit, right? Especially you in know, Seattle. Dude. Uh, uh, I, <laughs> um, yeah, I, well, I'm a low, volt, uh, low voltage electrician, so I do like data and, and HVAC work. And cool. uh, I, was, I was working for a company, and in our warehouse, they had a two-post data rack, which is 84 HP. Um, and it fits the tip top one happy endings perfectly. So oh, wow. I ended up I ended up taking that from the from the warehouse and I, I used a bandsaw and I cut it cut it down because it was about six feet tall. I cut it down to about wow. four right. four and a half feet tall and had you know four four racks of eighty four in there. But it was a bitch to carry around. But <laughs> that's the thing. I mean, like being able to carry the thing around is so important. And like, mm-hmm. well, not only that, but take it on a plane. Like I'm, yeah. you know. I'm taking this thing on a plane with me. Most of the, you know, I play local gigs in the city, but other than that, I'm flying to the show. And like, you know, I mean, this Harvestman case is cool. It's really interesting. And I mean, I love it, but it's also like not like safe. You know what I mean? If like something heavy fell on it, it would break, you know? And and like my other, I have one of the first big MDLR cases. That's my other one. Uh And, and, and it's so heavy. You know, yeah. it's like, I can't, it's so heavy. And I, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's 104, so I can't even overhead that anyway, you know? Right. And then my other thing, you know, it's like, if I was going to carry it, I'd have to put it in luggage, you know what I'm saying? So like, oh, you can, just, you can get a 104 in, in, uh, is it 7U104? It's 12. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can't do that. I was no, going to say, I've flown, I've flown twice with modular and I, I had a mono rocket case and I brought right, that I to New those, Orleans. Yeah. yeah. But I no, think I, if, if you're going to travel, well, I, I'll do the, 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 MD, the MD, sorry, the MDLR dude, I know he's made, <laughs> he just made a new case. That's like 94 and it's, oh. uh, and it's 12. And I think that you can, it's some kind of lightweight material. I think that maybe can go, uh, overhead. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, twelve is pretty nice to have. It's hard to do a full a full set on seven U. Um, but if if you can get it down to seven U, I will say the the shared system case. It's dope. Would be it'd be the ideal case for traveling. I mean, it, it's except there's one problem. There's one problem with it though for me. What's there's that? one problem that it's two point five and not three. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't do it, size? dude. I can't do the sliding <laughs> nut bullshit. I can't. Yeah, do I it. hate sliding nuts so much. I can't yeah, that's do my it. Only complaint about it. I can't. I need. I need. You know. I. I like. <laughs> Use those like thumb screws, you know, the whatever the knurly thing Nurleys, is. Knurlies, yeah, yeah, man. And I, I just if I if I can't do it like really fast, I can't. It's like I don't. As much fun as I have tinkering around with this stuff, I'm trying to make music, 
you know right. so it's like yeah. I, the the sliding <laughs> nut thing was just like get me out of here it was driving me crazy so that's one of the mods i did on the the harvestman case that i got was it was 2.5 and i replaced the rails just so okay. that i would like be able to not pull my hair out while i was messing with it yeah yeah my uh i'm gonna get all nearly for my for my uh, big my big case because I'm going to be swapping that. It's going to take me forever to get everything in there the way that I want it. You know what modules do I want and what row and everything. And I don't want to sit here with a screwdriver for. I'll just. I mean, if I fill uh-uh. that thing up, that's hours, man. That's hours. That's what I'm, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I can't do it. I just can't do it. Like I don't. I mean, I don't understand why anybody does that. But you know, respect to the elder gods of you know a uh, uh, rack, no doubt. But I mean. Uh, I just can't, man, I just can't <laughs> I'm do with it. you, dude. I can't, I don't, I, I haven't, I haven't had anybody give me a convincing argument why sliding nuts are better. It's just, you know, I, if you uh, like, look, if you like sliding your nuts, great. I don't, <laughs> but, but I mean, I, you know, I just think somebody like, I'm curious about the new MDLR, you know, but like somebody needs to make a new case that's like really flight safe that you can fit a lot of stuff in and that doesn't cost a thousand dollars you know what i mean yeah somebody needs to do that and i mean i know it's not easy i know the materials aren't cheap um but you know that's the biggest problem and i'm sure you've talked about this with other people on the show the biggest problem is that the cost is prohibitive with this stuff and yeah you know it's like that's why people turn their noses up at it more than anything else is because you know it's like it's crazy expensive and that's yeah. that, that that's like they you know i know that things are getting more affordable in various capacities but like you know if you're spending a bunch of money to build a system and then you got to spend a bunch of money on a case you know it's like that's makes it that is what makes it impossible for a lot of people that's what kept me from i, I was probably a year before I decided to take the plunge and the thing that was keeping me away was I have to spend, wait, these things are all like two to $500 a piece. They do one thing. And then the case that I need for it is also like $700. I was like, how I I can't do that. It's yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty steep. But that's why I started out with like getting creative, like a two post rack and the, the tip top things. Um, There's a dude, there's a dude I know. There is a dude I know in, he lives in Brno. I don't know if he still works for Bostel, but he did when I met him. And he was buying like knockoff Pelican cases and and turning them into Eurorack cases. I was just gonna say, if you got yourself a Pelican case and some rails, and you you know t- put the time in, you could definitely you could make something. But with the time and then the money spent on the materials and then the power supply, you might as well just you know spend the seven hundred dollars because it's gonna come out in the wash pretty much. But. Um, <sighs> <laughs> well, Could you know, the DIY project. The, yeah, these are the kind of these are the kind of ridiculous non-problems that we can uh, spend all day going back and forth <laughs> over, but you know. Right. The fact of the matter is like you said it is fun, you know. It yeah. is fun. I mean, it's look. It's a good way to get caught up on on podcasts or TV series, you know, I'll put yeah. the modular on the coffee table and then I'll rearrange it while I'm watching something or Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> we're all tinkerers and nerds as soon as you if you if you can if you have the patience to get into this stuff then, you know. That that there's I'm not deep into astrology, but there's probably something in there that describes that explains it. You know, we probably <laughs> totally. all have the same probably all have the same like Mercury placement or something like that. You know, yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know, I don't know. I anyway, man, kinda, 
yeah, yeah. we're kind of going long, but I, I mean, I could talk about this all day. Um, I got a, I got a session that's, I got a, I got a musician coming over. We're going to do some recording. So, uh, okay, well, I, th- I, I, I so am going to have man. to jump. Yeah. Thank you too. Uh, this has been a lot of fun and, uh, you know, yeah, check out, but do check out the Fox millions, the second Fox millions record. I think, uh, you know, from where we started talking about, it, I, I have a feeling you'll probably like it. All right, there was our chat with Greg Fox. Now, please enjoy Abstract Management, and thank you to all of you who listen and support the show. Until next week.